Good evening, everyone. On Australia Day, two years ago in Brisbane, a drunk 17-year-old who was also drugged up to his eyeballs ran a red light in a stolen car. It didn't end well. The car struck and killed a young couple who were walking their dog. Matthew Field and Kate Ledbetter. Kate was pregnant with their first child. It's a picture of them. Here's Matthew proudly holding up the ultrasound of his unborn son whom they'd already named Miles. Matthew and Kate's family were overcome with grief. Can you even imagine this happening in your family? But at the same time as them being overcome with grief, they were as angry as hell at the drunk driver. The father of Matthew said this, this was a low act, the lowest of lows, a dog act. Uh, the driver, who can't be identified because he was underage at the time of the accident, he was sent to jail to pay for his crimes. Uh, and he was sentenced to 10 years jail with a non-probation period of six years. But him going to jail to pay for his crime did nothing to appease the anger of the families. They were still as angry as hell. To pay for a crime is what we call expiation. Making amends for wrongdoing by the payment of a penalty. But the payment of the penalty by this man going to jail did nothing to appease the anger of the families. That requires propitiation. Propitiation means to pacify the anger of someone you've offended so they look upon you with favour. The prison sentence didn't achieve this for the families. They were still as angry as hell. Uh, the judge said this in his deliberation, no sentence will be adequate and can't do justice to the suffering you, the family, you, the drunk driver, have caused. We saw two weeks ago, we saw that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. The sins that people commit against God are not slightly displeasing to God. They are highly offensive to him and he is deeply, deeply angry. But the good news of the gospel, 
the centerpiece of the book of Romans, which we're looking at, the good news of the gospel is what we've just heard. God presented Jesus as a propitiation. Jesus on the cross turned God's anger away from sinners so that if you are in Christ, God now looks upon you with favor. What a turnaround because of the cross of Christ. Now, what does God's propitiation involve? We're going to have a look at that this evening. Uh, there are two points in my message this evening. First one is this. God says I'm right even when I'm wrong. Uh, you may have seen this image floating around in Christian circles. Has anyone seen this image around? Cross equals love. Uh, it started as a simple uh, Easter uh, branding for one church's Easter services. But it kind of took on a life of its own and it became a worldwide movement. It was kind of seen across the skies, all over the world, written on the skies, in all sorts of ways. It even has its own emoji. Right? You know you've made it when you have your own emoji. Uh, the director of communications for this church said this. He said, I'd love to think that one day cross equals love is just what happens at Easter. As much as Easter is an Easter egg and as much as Easter is the Easter bunny, it's actually cross equals love as well. That's what I hope for. Now, cross equals love is incredibly catchy. And it's at the cross where we see God's love burn brighter than anywhere else, isn't it? God left the most glorious place in all the universe, his heavenly throne room, surrounded by heavenly beings and angels praising him for all eternity. And he traded that for the most shameful, humiliating place in all the universe, the Roman cross of torture, where he was surrounded by soldiers beating him, religious leaders mocking him, the crowds laughing at him. And he did that for you and for me out of his great love. But while cross equals love is very catchy, the problem is, is that it is inaccurate. Cross equals love emphasizes only one aspect, one essential element of what happens at the cross, and it disregards the other equally essential element of the cross, which is justice. That's right, justice. And unless you have both those elements, uh, this is inaccurate and it's distorted and it's misleading. Now, we don't want to go back to the practice of some Christians in the past where they accentuate the judgment of God and largely forget the love of God so that people walk around in dread of an angry God. But the pendulum has certainly swung 
very much the other way so that now God's justice is disregarded. In our passage today, we read, God presented Jesus as a propitiation. It's not a word that we use very often. Anyone use that word this week? No, but earlier generations were very familiar with it. Earlier generations were very familiar with it. It was part of their normal vocabulary. To propitiate means to pacify the anger of someone you have offended so they look upon you with favour. In short, to turn anger away. Uh, we, we, you'll, it's, in the, uh, it's throughout the Bible, but you may not have picked it up. For he, Jacob, thought, I will pacify, I will propitiate Esau with these gifts I'm sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he'll receive me. Perhaps he'll look upon me with favor. Uh, we see it again in Proverbs chapter 16. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but the wise will pacify it, will propitiate the king's anger, so that the king will look upon you with favor. And so in today's passage, God presented Jesus as a propitiation. It means that Jesus has turned God's anger away from us on the cross so that God now looks upon us with favor. Do you know the adjective used most commonly to describe God in the Bible? The one most commonly used? Holy, by far the most common description of God's character. Holy comes from the word meaning to cut off, to separate. separate. So God is cut off, he's separate from anything that is immoral, anything that is sinful, anything that is impure. God cannot tolerate sin and it automatically arouses his wrath. Uh, when someone is allergic to something, say bee stings or peanut butter, their body automatically reacts to that offending allergen, right? And, so, and they, they have a severe allergic reaction. Uh, for example, this guy here, he is allergic to bees. He's got a bee on his face. That's a problem. He tries everything he can to avoid the bee sting, but unfortunately, he gets stung by the bee, right? It's an allergic reaction. Uh, when we eat contaminated food, our stomachs automatically vomit the food up, right? Got a picture of that? No, I don't. <laughs> Jokes aside, when God comes across evil, his automatic reaction is wrath because he is holy. He must respond to evil and sin in that way because he's holy. He always responds to sin and evil in that way because he is holy. But God's anger also arises from his love. His love for those whom he has created but who have been hurt and harmed and abused and taken advantage of. See, God is deeply angry when a woman is physically abused, when she's sexually, sexually abused. He's angry that people's greed leaves others reeling in poverty. He's angry that porn demeans and objectifies people. God judges wrongdoing 
because he cares for the victims. The opposite of love is not wrath. The opposite is indifference. I don't care what happens to those who are hurt. So God is love. God is just. God is holy. He's all his attributes at once in their fullness. And so when God loves, he does it in a holy and just and right way. A diminished understanding of the character of God will lead to a, inevitably to a diminished understanding of sin and therefore to a diminished understanding of what happens at the cross. There was a movement in the 20th century, if you can remember that far back, by, led by a British theologian called C.H. Dodd. And this movement said that sin is, is the breaking of rules, it is the, the doing of bad things, but in no way, there was no sense in which sin was a personal affront to God, that God was angry in any way with our sin. The movement argued that propitiation, all right, so hopefully by the end of this talk you'll understand this word, they said propitiation was not necessary. It wasn't necessary to pacify God's anger. All that was necessary was expiation. All Jesus had to do was pay a penalty for our sins. He didn't need to turn God's anger away. Uh, the movement felt very uncomfortable with, the, with talk of wrath and propitiation. This is what they said. Isn't the concept of placating the wrath of gods with sacrifices a primitive pagan concept? A god who is mollified by throwing a virgin into a volcano? Haven't we advanced from these crude, unsophisticated concepts? Well, the way they've described it is a crude, pagan, uh, unsophisticated concept. But that's not the way that the Bible defines propitiation. Propitiation is not something that we do. It is something that God does. Human beings cannot turn God's anger away by the performance of rituals or by the offering of a sacrifice. Propitiation is something that God does. At the cross, God took his own loving initiative to appease his own righteous anger by bearing it in his own self. It's God's work. God gave himself to us to save us from himself. Because God is holy, his anger needed to be propitiated. Because he is loving, he did the propitiating. See, if God loved me but just didn't like the things I did, then expiation would be adequate. But God was angry with my sin. Propitiation was necessary. And as a result of propitiation, God says, I'm right even when I'm wrong. And if you're a Christian, God says you're right, even though you're in the wrong. C.H. Uh, Dodd, the guy that led that movement, he was the director of the panel which produced the New English Bible in 1961. Uh, it was a, it, back then, it would have been a big thing, a new translation for the English-speaking people. And his view was reflected in removing the word propitiation and replacing it with expiation. 
And this changes the entire meaning of the verse that we're looking at today, Romans 3.25, and it changes the whole meaning of the gospel. And cross equals love is a classic expression of the expiation gospel. The death of Jesus is presented as an act of love, yet without any connection to the holy wrath of God. According to cross equals love, sin is more a problem for us than it is for God. Right? Sin brings us consequences. But that's a far cry from what we've just heard in Romans 3.25. The emphasis is that sin is a personal affront to God. And it needs to be dealt with. And so, cross equals love, it de-emphasizes God as judge. And really only emphasizes God as love. One element of the two essential elements of the cross. Now, you may have heard of the saying, God hates the sin and loves the sinner. God loves the sinner, amen, otherwise I wouldn't be here. But the scriptures don't say that God only loves the sinner. Psalm 5.5 says, you, God, hate all evildoers. God hates the sin, but he also hates the sinner who refuses to submit to Christ. And therefore his wrath rests upon that person. The paradox of the cross is, as uh, Martin Luther put it, God loved us even as he hated us. That's what happened at the cross. He, his wrath was on us, and even though he hated the evildoer, he decides to love. Now, as a Christian, God only loves us. All right? get, let's get that clear. God only loves us as a Christian. We are dearly loved. There is no wrath that remains on us because Christ has absorbed it on the cross. Now, some Bible translations like the NIV, which is the one that we normally use here at Subi Church. And so when you open this passage up, if you've got the NIV, you're not going to see the word propitiation. You'll see that in the ESV, which we read tonight. They've replaced the word with atonement. You'll know, you remember that word, atonement. Atonement means to make amends for doing wrong or causing offense. And so you can see they, with this word, they've tried to cover the idea of both expiation and propitiation. Atonement, if, if you want to break it down, it's at one -ment. one -ment was an old English word that means to unite. And so the word is trying to capture the idea that we were alienated from God because of our sin, because of God's wrath, but Jesus has united us. He's reconciled us. These, these words as we go through the book of Romans are really important as for a Christian. These are part of our vocabulary. These are words that we really need to work hard at, on, on trying to understand. So today, propitiation and atonement. Now, there's, comfort, there's discomfort sorry, for some Christians with the idea of God being wrathful. Mainly in the Western society. A lot of societies are not surprised at this at all uh, but in our western society some christians uh, are discomfort uh, uncomfortable with the idea that god is wrathful for example the presbyterian church in the usa presbyterian church of the usa 
they fought over lyrics to the song In Christ Alone. Uh, they had refused to sing a particular line in this song. Can you guess what it is? Well done, Jenny. So till on that cross when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They said, nope, we're not going to sing that. Instead, they changed the line to the love of God was magnified, which is a beautiful line. But they refused to sing the original. And, and they wrote to the authors of the song and they said, look, we don't want uh, to sing this line you have copyright, so can we have permission to sing our version? What do you think the authors said? They said, sorry, this is what the uh, uh, Presbyterian Church said. The cross is not an instrument of God's wrath. We don't want to sing that line. The reply was, no, you mustn't change it. God's wrath and his love are not in opposition to each other. It is a dichotomy the Bible doesn't present. As we saw that earlier, the opposite of God, opposite of love is not wrath, it is indifference. As a result, the song was kept out of 10,000 churches in the US. Now, when we downplay the holiness of God, ironically, we undermine the love of God because we fail to grasp the loving lengths a holy God went to in order to turn his anger away from us. God the Son lived throughout all eternity in the bosom of the Father, says John chapter 1. Meaning the Father and the Son are in the closest of intimate relationship for all eternity. At the cross, something happens that has never happened before in all of eternity and will never happen again. The Father turns his face away from his Son in anger. As the Son absorbs the wrath of God the Father for our sins and this bond is fractured for the first time in all of eternity and Christ is abandoned and he feels abandoned by the Father and Jesus went to those lengths for you and for me when you remove the holiness of God you actually lessen and dilute the love of God if we actually spoke more about God's holiness, we would also say much more when we spoke about his love. So God says I'm right even when I'm wrong. Second point, shorter. God is right to say I'm right even when I'm wrong. God is right to say I'm right even when I'm wrong. So we read in our verse, God presented Jesus as a propitiation to demonstrate his, well, cross equals love, we'll say, well, there's only one thing he demonstrates, and that's his love. But what does Paul say here? To demonstrate his righteousness. That was one of the essential elements of the cross. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Christ. Now, what does this mean? Let's try and uh, simplify this down. In the Old Testament, we see God's, uh, God in his great mercy. We see God 
forgive and save unrighteous people, don't we? But where's the justice in that? How can God do that and still be righteous? Well, let me give you a few examples. Noah and his family are rescued on the ark. But by rights, they should have perished as well, right? Because they were no better than anyone else. Why did God allow that? Abraham, he was a worshipper of false gods. He practiced things that were displeasing to God, like all the people around him. But God plucks Abraham out from everyone else and says, you're my friend. David commits adultery. He commits murder. The law says you've got to be stoned. But when God exposes his sin through the prophet Nathan, Nathan says to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. So in these moments, God appeared to be unjust. How can you do that when they've done the wrong thing? God was not sweeping their wrongdoing under the carpet. What he was doing was deferring payment until the cross, when Christ's propitiation would cover their sins. The cross demonstrates that God was right to declare righteous those who were unrighteous. Because they were covered by Christ's propitiation. God, said, God is right to say I'm right even when I'm wrong because of the cross. God is right to say sinners are right even when they're wrong because of the cross. Because God is just, he can't just sweep all the things that we do under the carpet because he's just. As if they didn't ho happen, right? He's holy and he loves those who've been harmed and hurt and taken advantage of and abused. And so his justice must come. God, not, God does not set his justice aside, but he turns it on himself. God is right to say I'm right even when I'm wrong. So the cross demonstrates both the love of God and the justice of God. It's where the love and justice of God kiss at the cross. God demands righteousness because he is holy. He provides righteousness because he is love. God is cross at us because he is holy. He goes to the cross for us because he is love. So then, what do we do with cross equals love? What do we do with that? We've seen it's, it's inadequate it only emphasizes one element of what happens at the cross. So this is going to be accurate. According to the passage, as I see it, cross equals love plus justice. Our presentation of the cross must include both those elements if people are going to understand the gospel properly. Is that right? And unless we understand both these elements... It will introduce distortions in our relationship with God. Because on the one hand, if you object to the idea that God is righteous, that he has righteous standards and you just think that God is love and he permits you to do whatever you want, then that's going to be really destructive for you, right? We all know kids who have parents who let them do whatever they want, don't put any limits on them, never confront them. The kids are a nightmare. You know that when they come over to your house for a birthday party, right? They're the wild ones who are out of control. And anything goes God is a God who is uncaring and indifferent. But on the other hand, a God of wrath and justice and judgment with no mercy and no love, well, that will crush you. 
that will lead you to despair because you'll never be able to live up to his standards you'll always be fleeing from him the wonder of the cross is that in the very same stroke it shows that God is both the judge who cares enough about his world to set standards and keep them accountable keep us accountable to him and at the same time he's done everything possible everything we need to restore and forgive us is a father worth having he is a father we can have God says I'm right even when I'm wrong he says you're right even when you're wrong and God is right to say I'm right even when I'm wrong amen let's pray Father, we thank you for this powerful, dense passage of Scripture where the inner workings of your salvation are seen, like the inner machinations of what you did to save us are seen. Your propitiation, you taking the loving initiative to appease your righteous anger by bearing it in your own self. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your propitiation. We thank you that you presented Jesus in this way for us. If you're here tonight and you've never put your trust in Christ, the Bible says that God's wrath remains on you. The good news is that Christ's death has turned that wrath away. If you put your faith in Christ, God looks upon you with favor. For those of us here who are already Christian, perhaps you emphasize one of those two elements. Perhaps you emphasize in your own life, in your own walk, that God is love. And all he is is love. Or perhaps you emphasize in your own life that God is justice and and a judge and it crushes you and it leads you to despair what we've seen tonight is the wonder of the cross God is both the judge who cares enough about the world to set standards and to hold us accountable and the one who out of love has done everything necessary to forgive and restore us he's our loving and just Father. May those two elements of the cross, may you understand them and may you meditate on them and may it shape your life. In Jesus' name, amen.